Extended anticoagulation in VTE. The importance of patient preference. In this episode, Professor Rupert Barzax and Professor Jan Bayer-Westendorf discuss recent real-world evidence and what it tells us about extended treatment of VTE, with a focus on the potential benefits of extended treatment and the importance of adherence, persistence and patient preference. Professor Bayer-Westendorf is head of the Thrombosis Research Department, Division of Haematology, Technical University, Dresden. Professor Barsax is a vascular physician and haemostasiologist working at the Cardioangiologic Centre Battalion, CCB, in Frankfurt. He is also scientific lead of the German Action Alliance on Thrombosis. Hi, dear colleagues. Um, welcome to our podcast. And today we are going to talk about the most difficult question in the anticoagulation management of venous thromboembolism. To stop or not to stop, that's the question. So extended anticoagulation in VTE is our topic today, and we should also discuss the uh, importance of patient preference. In the current update of the CHESS guidelines, the panel complainant kind of criticized that for extended anticoagulation, data are only available for two to four years, and that's even only for VKA. Jan, I know that you started the Dresden NOAC registry in 2011, and that was exactly at the time when Rivaroxaban received the European label for VTE treatment. So that's more than 10 years of experience and evidence that we have today with Rivaroxaban. So Jan, when you analyze the outcome data for your VTE patients in the Dresden NOAG registry, what did you find about extended treatment with Rivaroxaban? Thanks, Rupert. I, I fully agree that the decision of stopping anticoagulation or continuing anticoagulation be, beyond the initial phase of, let's say, three to six months is extremely difficult and challenging for each doctor sitting in front of each um, individual patient. So it's, it's really an, a tailored balance approach we need to take. And with that in mind, we decided when we designed the Dresden NOAG registry that we are not going to restrict data capture or follow up to the acute uh, uh, phase of treatment, but to include long-term um, treatment patterns. And we followed also patients who stopped rivaroxaban as, as time went by. So I, I think, Jan, I mean, yes. that's extremely important because we don't have those information about the ones who discontinued. But remind us, uh, the Dresden registry, was that an old comer uh, registry? Have you, did you have exclusion criteria? You know, no, you're right. We did not uh, exclude any patients. So if the patient agreed to participate in the registry and if a decision was made to treat a patient with a clot um, with rivaroxaban for at least three months, the patient was eligible to participate. So we, once the eligibility was confirmed, we did not exclude patients for comorbidity or other, other reasons. And then we, uh, as we, as I said, we followed those patients for up to seven years of treatment. And um, it, we recently published an analysis on more than 800 VTE patients. Some 30% were pulmonary embolism patients, some 70% were DVT patients who were treated with rivaroxaban. And um, in this recent um, analysis, we focused on outcomes beyond 12 months. And what we found is that of, of the patients who are still taking rivaroxaban at 12 months, so who completed a full year of rivaroxaban treatment for venous thromboembolism, more than half of them 
were still taking rivaroxaban five years at five years follow-up. So they added another four years um, after the 12 months uh, follow-up. It's much larger than the proportion of patients who continued uh, vitamin K antagonists in the past. So obviously the willingness of patients to persist, the acceptance of, of the treatment is much, much improved um, by um, using a drug such as rivaroxaban today. I think this is extremely important because we did not have data on, you know, seven years and we did not have data on seven years of NOAC treatment. And especially with the all comers in, in uh, randomized controlled trials, you always have very strict inclusion and exclusion criteria, but here you really took everybody in the registry. Uh, if they had, you know, uh, comorbidities or risk factors, and that's extremely important to have this long-term data uh, on the patients receiving the anticoagulation. So, so what are, what were your findings? A number of, of highlights I, I would like to, to present to our listeners. So one important finding was really that if patients did stop rivaroxaban sometimes after 12 months of completed treatment, the reason for stopping then was the last majority of patients was scheduled end of treatment. So it's not that after 12 months, we had a lot of patients stopping for comorbidity, for complications of the treatment, but um, many continued the treatment, but those who discontinued, they came to the point when um, either the patient or the physician said, well, let's stop. So it was a kind of elective or, or scheduled decision, not driven by complications, which I, which I think is important. What we also found is that complete discontinuation of anticoagulation maybe rivaroxaban or another anticoagulant the patient was switched to from rivaroxaban was associated with a high risk of recurrent VTE. And the patient still had, after stopping anticoagulation, considerable number of bleeding complications. So that anticoagulation is often discontinued um, despite and continued risk of, of um, VTE recurrence. And we did an interesting analysis. So we took all days when the patients were taking rivaroxaban and counted the events, let's say recurrent VTE plus major cardiovascular events plus ISTH major bleeding. We put them in a combined endpoint. And then we counted the days between such events. And on average, we had one of those major events, recurrent VTE, major cardiovascular or major bleeding every 6,400 days of rivaroxaban, which I think is extremely reassuring that, that I mean, we are talking about uh, on average, if you only look at the days when rivaroxaban was actively taking of one event per, let's say, 15 years of, of treatment. So extremely low on treatment complication rates. Yeah, uh, Jan, I think this is a very important analysis because that's what the patient really uh, wants to achieve. He does not want to get any event. Uh, he doesn't want to get recurrence. He doesn't want to get bleeding. And so that's an important real world uh, result uh, for the prolonged anticoagulation. Um, and I have, I have one question because uh, Einstein choice was uh, performed and done in a randomized study comparing aspirin with a reduced dose of rivaroxaban. That was um, published later on in 2017, I think. Um, so probably you do not have very many patients with a reduced dose of rivaroxaban. 
No, actually, it's it's exactly the other way around. Um, in in Saxony, the, which is the coverage area of the Dresden Org Registry, so it's not only Dresden, but it's it's really the the county around um, Dresden that included uh, these patients. The, the observed policy is you dose reduce whenever you can. So there, um, these these numbers I just referred and presented to you. Um, actually refer to a large proportion of patients that had dose reduction down to 10 milligram and still the rate of recurrent VTE was, was extremely low. So this was only days on rivaroxaban, not taking into account um, the dosage of rivaroxaban. It was just on rivaroxaban or off rivaroxaban. Oh, that's, that's very important because to me, that's a very frequent option that I take in those patients after, let's say, six or 12 months and um, reducing the dose. And, and from Einstein's choice, we know that it's still very effective after that time. And the bleeding risk is, is really in, in the uh, range of aspirin and no anticoagulation. So that's an option that I think is very good uh, uh, in many clinical situations. I agree. I think it should be the default setting for the majority of VTE patients going long-term. That's different to atrial fibrillation where you can't dose reduce, but in VTE, the majority of patients can dose reduce after the acute phase from Rivaroxaban 20 once daily to 10 once daily. Um, and they still can expect very um, high effectiveness and um, a good safety profile. Yeah. Well, I think these kind of, of registry data really provide very important insights in, that are typically not captured in the phase three trials from the inclusion and exclusion criteria starting to, uh, to the length, of course, of, of follow-up because we can't do randomized trials with seven years. That's why we don't have that data up to date. And so are there any other recent data that would provide useful insights on that question? Absolutely. Um, so it's um, there's a smaller um, registry from Switzerland called the Swifter registry, which also looked at VTE treatment with rivaroxaban. But the largest rivaroxaban dedicated VTE registry I'm aware of is the first registry from the United Kingdom. And um, this um, enro also involved patients uh, receiving rivaroxaban for venous thromboembolism treatment. And the percentage of PE was some 20%, 80% were DVT patients. And um, so it's, from my perspective, it's the largest study um, covering um, this um, population. However, the follow-up they reported so far, as far as I know, the follow-up for FIRST is still ongoing, but the published uh, data so far um, refer to um, um, a treatment uh, duration of shorter than one year. The most relevant finding from my perspective was that they looked at adherence and patient satisfaction um, by using patient questionnaires, which is something we did not do in the Dresdenorg registry. So it's kind of adding um, further insights to the, to the overall picture. And what they found is that um, nearly 90% of those patients um, treated with rivaroxaban showed very good adherence to this treatment in the registry with high treatment satisfaction. Okay, that's that's very important. And the Swifter was the Swifter was a Swiss uh, registry. Um, was a little bit different. Um, what what patients were included there? Yes, um, I'm just about to compare those uh, three um, registries and write a, a publication on the 
overlapping finding the consistent finding spot all the methodological and patient treatment pattern differences between the three registries um, so this is still a work in progress I, I can't go into detail too much there but what we've seen in in the swifter is that first the percentage of patients undergoing interventional therapies which much was much higher compared to uh, addressed NOAC and and first from the UK. So maybe in Switzerland, there's a tendency to recanalize DVT patients more often than in other countries. That's one interesting aspect. Um, another interesting aspect that was made, made makes the evaluation of those data a little bit more challenging is that they, the SWIFT um, um, authors did not report um, exact um, days of treatment duration. So what they captured in the database were uh, let's say treatment for up to three months, three to six months, uh, six to 12 months and so on. So the granularity of the data is not as, as detailed as we've um, found in Dresden and, and first. So that's also an important finding for methodologists that, um, that to make registries more comparable, I think we need uh, standards for which data are important to capture. Yeah, I think that's very important that you say that because I know that the Dresden registry has very granular data. You really can pinpoint it to one day of anticoagulation and you can exactly follow when did an event occur. So that's great in the Dresden registry. And what I also like, and it's very important for our initial question to stop or not to stop, you get you know risk factors and you get the risk profile of the patient and you can deduce whether it's worthwhile to continue or not continue. That, that's important. But taking together, really, um, in, in the Dresden uh, NOAA registry, as I pointed out uh, earlier, you have the longest follow-up and you started immediately. And that was very, very valuable at that time where we did not have that practical experience on NOAAX. So that was very, very important. And now you have the longest follow-up. And the first registry is really the largest rivaroxaban registry and swifter has a different patient profile with you know PE patients, interventional treatments, as you pointed out. So putting them together, of course, is very valuable. And, and um, I'm very much looking forward to your uh, analysis and pooled analysis of these, um, of these three registries. Um, and, and what we see is really that you can prove in the, in the real world the results that we found from those large Einstein uh, trials on DVT, on PE, uh, and uh, of course, Einstein extension and Einstein choice. So we have a broad spectrum of randomized trials and that fit well together with the, um, with the registries now. So it's important information here. Yeah, I, I agree. But um, so I'm, I'm the methodologist here in that conversation. But uh, you, you are probably um, a, a dedicated user of such real-world data when it comes to counseling patients in favor of stopping or continuing anticoagulation. So my question to you would be, um, what do you think, um, do these new uh, real-world data mean anything for the patients? Are they relevant for, for patients? Absolutely, yeah. I think the first thing, uh, there's several points, really. The first thing, as I pointed out already, we have now really, especially from the Dresden Registry, we have long-term data um, and, and on those patients with rivaroxaban. We, we saw a very good safety profile. We saw a very uh, a good effectiveness. So that's important. And 
the other thing I already mentioned, it's an all-commerce registry. So we have patients that we see in clinical practice. They are not highly selected for a randomized control trial. And we see those results really fit to the real world. So that's important. What we also, what is important for me is to see adherence is important. If the patient uh, is not sticking to their treatment, then they suffer endpoints. And so adherence is an issue. And of course, we have to talk to the patient and ensure adherence. We have to explain why it's important to continue on that drug and to provide on, and, and to uh, uh, prohibit you know, recurrences. Um, and it's also, I think, important to see that we have to assess the, the whole profile of risk factors of VTE. And, and we've seen in the traffic light system in the, in the German Thrombosis Alliance action um, that we have patients where we, of course, can discontinue anticoagulation early after three to six months. If there's a strong trigger and a strong transient risk factor, the risk of recurrence is low. And if we have, and that's another easy question, if there's a, a, a strong persistent risk factor, that's the red traffic light, we should try to continue. But in your registry, we have many patients with just unprovoked VTE, uh, no clear risk factor. And what we see from these long-term data that the patients really benefit from anticoagulation um, and, and it shows a very good safety profile. And that's very important for me uh, and it's, it's, it's really, uh, for me, it's uh, uh, confirming um, the effectiveness uh, of that treatment. So that's very important for the clinical practice. Very reassuring. Very good, Rupert. So um, I think we have used up the uh, patience of our, of our <laughs> listeners. Um, and of course, this was not meant to discuss um, this uh, very difficult uh, decision pathway or, or the, the decision situation in, in, in extreme detail here. Um, but this podcast was meant to, to be a teaser, an appetizer to our, to our listeners um, to refer to the publications we discussed, being it the Einstein um, studies, the randomized trials you refer to, but also um, the publications on SWIFT or on FIRST, on the Dressed Noah Registry, and maybe the upcoming manuscript on the pooled registry analysis. So with that, um, I thank you, Rupert, for uh, providing us um, with, with your, your insights and your clinical experience. But a, a special thanks goes out to our listeners who took the time um, to um, listen to our um, views and hopefully um, get some beneficial ideas and, and concepts out of the podcast to, to um, maybe change uh, the, the future of their VTE treatments. Thank you very much and have a good day. The views and opinions expressed throughout this podcast are those of the speakers based on their expertise and do not necessarily reflect those of Bayer. This podcast is funded by Bayer AG and the approval code is PPXARALL263816.